This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, hello. Welcome to Sounds Good with Brandon Harvey. I'm Brandon Harvey, and this is the podcast where every single week we host hopeful conversations with optimists and world changers about the unique experiences that drive them to use their influence for good. This week, I'm so excited to have my new friend, Sarah Lee, on the podcast. Sarah is the director of Project Consent, a sexual assault awareness and prevention program that she started way back in 2014 when she was just in high school. Today, Sarah is actually in college. She's a sophomore at the University of Kansas, where she's studying strategic communications and creative writing. And we had a really fun conversation. We talked about consent and sexual assault, but we also talked about what it's like to run an organization while you're in college. What it's like to be young and figuring out how to do something so professional and impactful while also you know, maintaining a sense of normalcy in your life. Sarah is also a really talented writer, and in her spare time, she writes for amazing folks like MTV, Elite Daily, Thought Catalog, and more. And I'm just a huge fan of the way that she uses her voice for positive change and to inspire others to live their lives well. I think it is worth mentioning that in this episode, we talk about sex and rape and consent, and if you're not looking to listen to that today, for whatever reason, totally just skip this episode. No problem. On that note, let's just jump right into the episode. I'm so excited for you to hear it. Here we go. So I was prepping for this conversation uh, last night. I'd, I'd already like written down some ideas on things I wanted to talk to you about, but I was like, oh, let me just go check her Twitter, see what she's up to. And Oh my goodness, you just won a Webby Award. Congratulations. Thank you so much. I, I woke up around, I, so I kind of forgot that the Webby Awards was uh, going to come out that day. So in my mind, it was like a day after. So I woke up and I had all these notifications on my phone. And my, you know, my first reaction is, oh my God, what happened? Did I like, leave <laughs> my car somewhere I shouldn't have again? Like what's happening? And then I see like all the notification. I'm like, oh my God, we won a Webby. And then I just kind of stayed in like the state of like, surreal shock for a minute until like it hit me so it hit me like an hour later and i just like started twitching i was like oh my god we won a webby award oh, man that's so that's so cool and it's so well deserved it was for the organization you run project consent and i'm so glad that it got the recognition it deserved well done thank you thank you that campaign consent is simple came out a year ago and i keep you know when you're working on the organization you kind of don't realize how far you've expanded and how far you've come because you're still in this mindset of, you know, I remember when we just had 13 followers, et cetera. Mm. But I think winning this award really showed us that 
there's a lot of power in reaching out to people. And a lot of people did respond to the campaign. And ultimately, because it was the People's Choice Award. And so that makes it so much more meaningful. It was oh, that wow. people voted. Yeah, people voted for this campaign because it meant something to them. And that kind of just really resonated with our entire team that like, oh, my God, people are listening. People are paying attention. People want change. So I really like to say that this award really isn't ours. It goes out to everyone who is affected by our work and who is a survivor of sexual assault. That's beautiful. And I, I think that it is a testament to this intentional space you've created around connection. Because I think that Project Consent isn't necessarily just a PSA. It seems like you're creating a community and you're creating a community of people who are able to say, hey, I hear you. I'm, I've been there. I understand. Like, I'm with you. And the fact that the people voted for this and they all felt that connection I think that it shined through. I think that's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that really is the basis of our work because I started this when I was 17. And my intentions then wasn't necessarily to, you know, make a nonprofit that's kind of dedicated to like, here are the facts, like this is what we should do, et cetera. It was more kind of along the lines of the emotional side of it, you know, like as in we want to support survivors. We want to we want them to feel heard and loved and respected. And even as we expanded to all the awareness and prevention stuff, that's kind of remained the basis of our work, just that emotional support and that sense of community. Mm, that's really, really good. I want to bring it back a tiny bit before you started Project Consent. You and I actually were both recently featured by the wonderful folks at Local Wolves, super fun publication that we both love. And I was reading your story in the January piece, and I didn't realize that you were born in China. Um, and you yeah. moved to the States when you were super young. Do you remember that transition? And I, I know that transitions at that age can just be so tricky. What was that like for you? It was really hard because I remember when my mom first told me the news, like, hey, we're moving to America. And, you know, at the time I had like this really idealistic idea of what America was going to be. You know, like I watch all the movies and stuff. So it's like, oh my God, yay, we're moving to like New York City. Like I'm going to do all this and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, oh no, 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 no. We're moving to Kansas. And I was like, oh, I don't know where that is. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, we get here and I just remember, I actually remember that first day. So we're sitting in the car, um, driving back, back from the airport and we don't have seatbelts in China. Like no one uses them. So I remember feeling literally like constrained by like this piece of leather. And I'm just Whoa. like, I feel uncomfortable. What is this? Which is a really good metaphor for like the next uh, couple of months. So, you know, I remember going to Walmart that day and I'm like, this is really cold. Like everything is unfamiliar and strange. And like the next day I was like, I want to go back home. I don't know this place. Um, and then there's also like the language barrier. And it, it was really rough even as a kid because it's just hard moving to a new place um, with entirely new lifestyle. And it, and it takes a long time to get adjusted to it. Luckily for me, I was pretty young where I could adapt to the language pretty quickly. But it was definitely a rough couple of months at first. Do you remember at all what it was like for your parents during that time? I know you were young, but have you had conversations about what that transition was like for them? I definitely think that it was much harder for my mom um, than it was for me just because, you know, I was young and I didn't, I, mean, I didn't necessarily have the same pressure of adulthood as she did. And I only had six years of my life that I had to separate with, whereas she had pretty, very much her entire life. And I don't think I realized how hard it was for her at the time. 
Um, and I really didn't recognize how hard it was as we were growing up, you know, as I transitioned into adulthood, I never really gave thought to, you know, adapting to this new world. And it's something I'm a lot more appreciative now that I'm, you know, a lot older and more mature and able to look back and think, oh my God, my mom went through a really hard time to give us this better life. So yeah, it's definitely one of those things. And I think maybe for a lot of immigrant children, we don't really think about that as much as we should. Um, I don't know if you watched Aziz Ansari's Master of None, but he oh has my a gosh, really good so episode. Good. Yeah. Yeah, he had a really good episode on it, and I, I want everyone to watch that episode just because it is so powerful, and it shows what storytelling can do. Mm, that's so true. And also, did you know that, that that's actually Aziz's dad on the show? Yes, yes, I love that. I'm actually so excited for the second season to come out. <laughs> Me too. Oh, my gosh. His dad is like, his dad's like a doctor or a dentist or, or something like that, and he saved up all of his, like, uh, vacation time so that he could film the season with his son and he basically just said like I'm not trying to be an actor or anything I just wanted to like spend some good time with my son and I'm like that's so beautiful like it's so cool to see them connecting over this um, anyway uh, that was an aside um, but it sounds like you because you had a difficult transition and and you kind of got to peek into your mom's uh, story, you got to have a little bit of a taste of empathy. And I mentioned this before, but I think that what you've created is truly empathetic in the best way possible. And, and it sounds like you've had that ability to connect with people on a deep level from an early age because you went through something that was difficult. You went through a transition where you had to kind of realize that, uh, people's lives look different. Going through the childhood that I have, which isn't necessarily traditional in any sense, really gave me a sense of empathy because you come you come to the realization that everyone goes through hard times. And I think being aware of that at such a young age really helped me become the person that I am because you learn not to judge, you know, you learn to be open and you learn to just really accept the fact that not everyone's stories are the same. So if we would all be if we're all more open to listening to what everyone has gone through and just have an open arm, open ears, then the world would be better, be a better place. Because at the end of the at the end of the day, it's the sense of community. I think that fosters all this. Mm. And you're still pretty young. You're in college right now, but you started your nonprofit project consent when you were in high school. Like that's impressive that you were able to bring this thing to life and and it's blossomed and grown through the years, um, how did Project Consent start? It started from something um, very personal and very traumatic. And, you know, I it's one of those things where no one knows what to do. I mean, there's no such thing as a perfect victim in a sense. So Project Consent was very much my way of recovering. And rather than really just, you know, it's not Project Sarah for a reason, because my kind of my thought when I was 17 was this is a problem and I want to be part of the solution. And I think there's a lot of power in making something good out of something bad. And so that's kind of that's kind of the mentality I've had with most things in my life where I can't necessarily stop bad things from happening. But that doesn't mean I can't make something good out of it. Mm. So in the very beginning, what did Project Consent look like? You know, was it? You know, right now it's a big organization that is winning Webby Awards and you've got a team and you've got a website. 
I would imagine that that's not what it first began as. What did it, what did it kind of look like in the beginning? In the beginning, it was rough. Like, I think back to it, and I'm like, wow, this girl had no idea how to run anything. But, you know, trial and error. Um, it originally started as an Instagram page where people submitted pictures of themselves with the word no written on it just to say, you know, no, I'm against sexual assault. Or, you know, just, no, I will not stand for this. And I kind of, like, asked a couple of my friends, like, hey, will you just submit a few pictures of yourself, blah, blah, blah. And I think we had maybe around... 20 to 30 people that I knew personally submit pictures. And it was one of those things where I thought, okay, well, this is a nice little gallery. Like, I don't really see it expanding from here. And then what's really interesting about that is people online started to hear about it. And they got invested, so they submitted pictures themselves. And within, I want to say, the next two months, it kind of snowballed where people were like, wait, I really like this idea. I really like this sense of community. Like, look at all these people standing up against sexual assault. And it kind of just... And it kind of, it really just snowballed from there. And I think having so many people join in, people I didn't even know, really gave me the sense of this could be something more. Isn't it interesting how sometimes we start things that are maybe just for ourselves and, and we don't even really think about where it can go. And it takes somebody else saying that it resonates with them or that they are excited about it or, you know, just seeing more people join in for us to realize how much bigger it can be. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I definitely didn't go into this with the intent of it being what it is now. So I credit a lot of my success to the people who stood up and said, this could really be something. So, which is the wonderful thing about Project Consent, it's never just about one person, it's about everyone. And when people want something, I think we have a way of making it happen. And that, that was a really eye-opening experience. So you had supporters in the very beginning. Were there any people around you who weren't as supportive of what you were doing? Absolutely. There was a lot of people who kind of mocked the project when it first came out. And looking back on it now, I don't think it had anything to do with even me personally. I don't think it had anything to do with them being in favor of sexual assault. I think just at that age, that high school age, there's this mob mentality of we see something controversial and we see something new and unfamiliar, so we're going to make fun of it. And then everyone's going to join in because, you know, that's high school. That's the mob mentality. When one person makes fun of something, everyone else wants to join in because people love to hate on things. And I wish that wasn't the culture that we lived in, but I think people love to hate on things more than they love to love on things. So a lot of people were very uh, crude about it. I remember, because it, it was my senior year when people started to lash back at it, and people started fake Instagram accounts, they made fake Twitter accounts, and they kind of used social media, I mean, they kind of used that to hide, you know, the messages that they were saying. And I remember looking, and that was my first, you know, kind of experience with harassment on like a very large scale. And I remember thinking, oh my God, what do I do? And, you know, you don't want to think that these are people that you know saying these things, but it is. So the end of my senior year was pretty rough. I ended up dropping um, a class and I kind of stopped going to lunch. And I remember spending a lot of my time in the counselor's office just thinking, this is awful. I mean, this is just, I don't know what to do. And, you know, at 17, 18, it kind of does feel like the end of the world but luckily for me, high school ended very quickly, and I was able to come to the realization that, 
Yeah, there's a lot of people who do mock this project. There's a lot of people who say nasty stuff about it even now. But there's even a greater majority who are genuinely touched by Project Consent and the work that we do. So rather than focusing on all these people who just want to say something nasty for the sake of saying nasty, I'm going to focus on the people that we're helping. Mm, that's really, really good. And what was that transition like moving from high school to college with this project underneath your belt? You didn't go to like a college in New York or California. Like you stayed in the Midwest. So it's not necessarily like you're escaping to a place where everybody agrees with you or everybody's on the same team. This is, I don't want to say team, uh, but where everybody's kind of has this shared mentality of, of the importance of a project like Project Consent. What was that transition like in light of staying in a similar context? I was originally really bitter at first because my dream school was NYU and I, you know, I had all these dreams of escaping to like the East Coast and going to like this super prestigious liberal arts school. It's kind of your childhood dream. You're like, oh, New York City. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, I think it was everyone's childhood dream, you know, after seeing Gossip Girl. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I remember desperately wanting to escape it. And I think at the time I thought life was going to get so much better if I just, if I go somewhere where people are supportive, if I have more opportunities. And, you know, uh, when it came down to it, staying in Kansas and going to KU was the only, it was the most practical sense. And I've always been somewhat of an idealist. So having that, like, sense of, like, okay, this is is what reality looks like. You need to do this um, because, you know, student debt more than anything. So I stayed in Kansas. And, you know, I think my high school experience kind of, taught me to maybe just like keep project consent on the download so I wasn't necessarily hiding it but I wasn't also like meeting people and being like hi I'm Sarah Lee I have this nonprofit, blah 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 so the people that I became friends with they didn't even really know about project consent until like I want to say like a month later and they would like see it on social media and they would ask me like Sarah did you like start this and I was like <laughs> oh yeah I did <laughs> about that <laughs> so that's been really interesting and but overall, I think people in college are a lot more accepting of it. Um, when they do hear about Project Consent, I've never had anyone, you know, to my face be like, well, this is stupid. <laughs> um, they're kind of more like, okay, so tell me more about what you do. And I think the really nice thing, and I, that's what I want. I want people to have an open ear and to kind of see the work that we're doing and kind of just realize that they, they can be part of the solution. I mean, Project Consent isn't necessarily about you know, doing something drastic and monumental and huge to make a difference. It's about the tiny different little things that we can do to make our society a better place. And I think coming to that realization is just that it inspires a lot of people, I think, to kind of reflect on their own community and their own actions and think, are the things that I'm doing and the things that I'm saying and the people I'm surrounding myself with, are they reflective of the values that I want to live out? And the Project Consent values are pretty simple, as in we want to build a society where sexual assault isn't normalized as much. It's not swept under the rug. So having people in college, especially, you know, as they're becoming their own for the first time, kind of realize this is the society that I want to be part of. I think that's something huge for them. Yeah, I think that that's really beautiful. And I think it's really interesting that people 
are asking you, hey, what's this thing? And you basically get to have a conversation about it. And that's the goal. The goal is for people to have conversations about this. And it seems like it's it's working. People are having conversations about it. You alluded to this before, but what is the biggest challenge in bringing the importance of consent to people in college and young people in general? I think we live in like a pretty intelligent society for the most part. So I think there's a lot of mockery when people hear, oh, well, obviously rape is bad. I don't know why you need to have like a nonprofit dedicated to saying this. And, um, and you know, people like make fun of the word consent because it sounds like a PSA announcement, you know, yeah. it sounds very like forced. But then I kind of start to explain like, okay, but here are the, like, here are the statistics, here are the microcosms, here are the little things that make up society and kind of how sexual assault is normalized. And they they listen to it and they're like, oh, shoot, this is a problem. So it's really not enough to say that sexual assault is bad because I think mostly everyone can agree on that. It's kind of just the little problems within us. And what do we do when a professional athlete is caught sexually assaulting somebody and they're given zero punishment because of their status? What do we do when people take advantage of others using their positions as a teacher or as a you know politician? Because these are real-life exam- real cases that have happened and we kind of sweep them under the rug because we don't want to talk about sexual assault. So, you know, it's one of those things where like people know that sexual assault is bad, but they kind of assume that everyone else is thinking the same thing that we don't really, we don't know what to do when it actually does happen. It's not enough to, it's just not enough to say, Oh yeah, uh, this is a bad thing. Change has to happen because despite us knowing that sexual assault is bad, there are still just so many ugly, horrible things that's happening in the world and we're kind of ignoring. I think that something really interesting about, uh, especially the specific project that you won the Webby Award for, is that you kind of dive into more gray areas. Because like you said, everybody knows rape is wrong. But what about those things that are a little bit more in between that obviously are wrong, but it's harder to talk about because it's not as clear and black and white. What's it like for you to dive into that nuance, to dive into that gray area and have a conversation about that stuff? It is very controversial because one of the first campaigns that we rolled out was sexual assault can still happen in a relationship, which is a big gray area that not a lot of people talk about. You know, you don't want to think about your partner sexually assaulting you, but that's a reality that a lot of people face. And we kind of brush aside because we think, oh, they're in a relationship like that's like sex is a given. And we're like, no, it's not. That's still assault no matter what. So I remember when we first came out with that campaign and we got a lot of, you know, nasty, you know, backlash against it. But we also had a lot of people come forward and said, yeah, my partner sexually assaulted me and I was very uncomfortable and I do feel assaulted. And I think that was that's one example of a gray area that we've tried to tackle a lot. Another one is the kind of mentality that like men can be sexually assaulted, which is a huge one for us. Um, and, and it did inspire a lot of male survivors to come out with their stories. And, you know, we can't tackle every single, well, we can't fix every single aspect of sexual assault that we would like, but hopefully we can kind of start enough of a spark that others can join in and hopefully, you know, everyone can join in these conversations and change will happen. But the campaign that, we most recently did last year, Consent and Simple, was really kind of geared towards a younger population. Uh, Because, you know, when we were brainstorming, we just thought, 
consent shouldn't be hard to talk about. Like, it should be pretty straightforward. Like, why is it such a big deal for us to talk about consensual sex? And we kind of thought about, like, all the ways that consent has been explained through metaphors and stuff. And it was kind of one of those, and we just thought, we don't want to use metaphors when explaining sex. We just want it to be straight, simple, and just really dive into the subject because that's how kids are going to learn. They're not going to understand metaphors and if, because it shouldn't be uncomfortable to talk about. And I think probably that's one of the biggest problems with our society is that we're so afraid to talk about sex. So we thought, let's just be frank. And I think people responded to that because, you know, you know, in the campaign, we do use genitalia to explain consent. Which is, you know, which is really interesting when you're just like scrolling through Facebook and you just see like these like cartoon. Uh, it grabs body your attention parts. really fast. It, yeah, it really does. I remember people coming up to me and they're like, uh, "Sarah, did your organization just <laughs> do like animated body parts?" And I was like, "Yes, but it's for a good cause." <laughs> so, uh, like, it was definitely it was definitely attention grabbing. But I think it kind of did address the point of we don't want to use metaphors. We want to be honest and. And, you know, sex ed is a huge controversy in America because I'm, I'm going to be the first to say that I had a terrible sex ed uh, experience, as in we didn't talk about anything. So I'm hoping that future generations will see this campaign and they'll know to talk to their kids and have their kids talk to their kids and just say, hey, this is what's appropriate. This is what's not. All right, cool. End of story. And I, that's, you know, people say kids are the saviors of the future. And I firmly believe that. Like, let's teach our kids something important. Let's teach our kids what consent is and isn't. Mm, That's really, really good. With all of this stuff that you're doing, all of these things that you're creating, what's it like to balance your work and your college life? It's not not ideal. Um, (laughs) And I think, and I'm coming to the realization that I think I got... You know, I was 17 years old when this first started. I was, yeah, I was 17 when I was doing, like, uh, interviews with, like, Nylon and, like, Cosmo. You know, I wasn't in the mindset of thinking of myself as a public figure because I was a kid. And when you're a kid, you're just kind of like, oh, cool, I'm doing this really cool thing. But people will forget about it in, like, a month. But it's, like, a nice memory. And I kind of had that mentality for, like, a year or so before. I re- it really started to hit me that, like, oh, God, people know who I am. Um, and maybe I'm not just a regular college student. And that was really hard for me because I, I remember going to college, you know, fresh out of high school. And I remember thinking, I just want to fit in. Like, I want my friends to like me for me. I want my friends to like me because I'm Sarah, not because I have all this work experience. And that's definitely something I struggle with because I have, because I very much wanted to be a normal college student. You know, I wanted the normal college experience, but at the same time, I'm not having the normal college experience. Um, I'm doing a lot of things I think that most people aren't doing. And that can be really lonely because, you know, you want to tell somebody, hey, there's a lot of pressure to maintain this image of, you know, girl wonder, the girl who has her organization, the girl who writes for MTV, blah, blah, blah. At the same time. So it's kind of hard balancing that work life and that personal life because it's just kind of like, at what point, where do you draw the lines? How do you separate who you are and what you're doing? Because for me, it's kind of blended it all together. And it's definitely hard, like waking up some mornings and thinking, okay, I need to do this and this for school. And I want to hang out with my friends. But at the same time, I need to do this for project consent. And I need to do this interview or this press release. And it's not, it's not the traditional college experience. It's really not. No. And 
You know, I'll tell you that I can really resonate with that. And it, it actually feels really refreshing to hear you saying that because though I think that what I was doing when I was in college was maybe a little bit more small scale than what you're doing, um, I had a pretty sizable audience going into my freshman year of college. And I only graduated a few years ago. And so I'm still pretty young, but I... I found a really I found it really difficult to balance um, what it's like to be a college student and have college friends and then also to be you know going to these events and, and flying around the country and and speaking and and creating things and it's a really really tricky space and and I'm really inspired by the way that you are aware of it and you're trying to figure out how to tackle that and you're being intentional because, the truth is that this is new and there's no rule book for this. But in 10 years, the way that the way that our culture is moving is we're never going to have another Marilyn Monroe in the world. We're never going to have somebody that like everybody knows and uh, and appreciates on like a pop culture level. But for all of us, we're all going to be a Marilyn Monroe to somebody, if that makes sense. So like we're all going to be known to uh, you know, several thousand people. We're all going to have our own niches. I think that genuinely, like almost everybody will have some sort of audience because that's just the way that the internet connects people. And so I think everybody's going to have to kind of figure out what this looks like because I don't know that maybe that's the direction that, that we're heading. And yeah, I don't have any answers. I don't have any, <laughs> I don't have any expertise, but it's something that's really interesting to figure out. And uh, I'm inspired by the way that you're, you're trying to walk that line and be intentional through it. Yeah. I think being really honest about who I am and how I'm feeling has definitely been a huge part in separating that line because, you know, my friends will make jokes like, Oh, well, Sarah's famous. And I'm just kind of over here thinking like, wait, no, I, I, I can't be famous. Like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing with my life. Um, like, I woke up at 11 and I ate cereal out of a wine glass. Like, I can't do this. <laughs> um, so that's one of those things where, like, I was definitely not prepared to be a public figure on any scale. And it kind of hit me a year later, and I was like, oh, shoot, maybe, maybe I should, like, start preparing for to be this person that I'm not. And then rather than kind of going down that road, I just thought, you know, I'm still growing up. There's still a lot that I have to learn about myself and a lot to figure out. And if I have to do that kind of on a public scale, then I'm just going to do that because I don't want to force myself to be someone no. that I'm not. And You're I want to be real. Yeah, I, I want to transition into adulthood as anybody else would. So, you know, it is it is a little weird, you know, knowing that my progress is a little more visible than I think most people's. But I like what you said about there's not going to be another Marilyn Monroe because being uh, well, not even well known, but being kind of known on at this age is a very strange experience um, because I'm constantly like, oh, no, 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 I that's not me. But it's kind of like, oh, no, it is me. And I think it's I think more than anything, it's about coming into your own. But you have to come into your own as a person before you can come into your own as a public figure. And I'm still doing the former a little bit, but it's definitely been a weird transition. Um, I also never thought that I would get famous off of Project Consent because that was never really the in- that was never really the intention, and it's still kind of just like baffling to me because I think part of that is that I there's a part of me that just doesn't think I'm doing anything special because the basis of Project Consent is helping people and being a good person, and I think that's something that anyone can do. So I get a little like weirded out when people think when people call me like an activist when people call me you know any 
like when I get too many compliments, it's like, oh, you're extraordinary for making Project Consent because I don't want it to be extraordinary. I want it to be something that anyone can do. You know, you know, Project Consent isn't going to singly handedly uh, solve sexual assault around the world. That's going to take the efforts of a lot of people. So I don't want people to think of me as I don't want people to look at me and think of what I'm doing as something, you know, unreachable or something that only I can do because it's not. It should be something that everyone should aspire to. So that's kind of where I'm trying to draw the line is that, you know, I am very proud of the work that I'm doing, but I want other people to know that they can do something just as equally powerful. Mm, that is so good. I just got goosebumps listening to that. That's so cool. Um, wow. Ultimately, that's what it's all about is is bringing other people into the fold because... I don't know. There's there's something really important and powerful about creating things ourselves and bringing things into the world. But I think that it's so much more meaningful when what we do inspires others to to join us or or to even create their own thing. Because when everybody's taking action, I think that that's the ultimate goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And Project Consent, I the part that I'm most proud of is that it is a community. Uh, I think any anyone can look at Project Consent and think this is this is a safe place where I'm listened and loved and respected. And I can't help but wonder how many of us needed that when we were growing up, you know? So I think to be able to provide that for, for somebody else, is, it means a lot to me because a model that I've been trying to live by lately is be the person that you needed when you were younger. I have a lot of admiration for Sarah starting something so important, so young, and continuing to bring it to life and do it really, really well. If you want to find out more about Project Consent and the work that they're doing, if you want to see what they're creating, check them out at projectconsent.com. On the site, you can also learn more about Sarah, and you can click the link through to Twitter, or you can email her yourself, get in touch if you want to talk with her. If you want to find out more about Sounds Good or everything else that we're up to with the good newsletter, the good newspaper, a little bit more about me, who am I, you can go to goodgoodgood.co and you can learn more about what we're up to. Thank you all so much for tuning into this week's episode. Go out and do some good this week and we'll be back next week with another inspiring conversation with an incredible person. Sound good? Sound good?